Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join in the worship of our triune God. A hearty welcome to all of you who are present and to all those also who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and our minds in faith and trust to our Saviour, Jesus Christ, and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Just have the one repeat announcement this afternoon that the Free Reformed Church of Lagana have extended a call to candidate Anson Vendelden. And before we commence, let us sing together from Psalm 97, verse 1 and 4. And a reminder that this afternoon's service is led by Reverend Dion. afternoon brothers and sisters it's a great privilege and honor to be in your midst this afternoon to be with you and also to lead in worship as we worship our triune God as your missionary serving in Papua New Guinea I bring greetings from the churches there from the church in Leh and Wantoon and Gila from your brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ worshiping him and glorifying him together with you uh, they certainly uh, send their greetings and uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're able now, I'd ask you to rise as we worship the Lord. Congregation, let us lift up our hearts to the Lord as we confess our dependence upon him. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Receive the greeting of our Lord. 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together this afternoon by singing from hymn three. Hymn three, the stanzas one, two, and three. Psalm 105, O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, 
Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the, and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. In response to the revelation of the triune God, of who he is and all that he's done for us, let's, together with the church of all times and places, confess our undoubted Catholic Christian faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed as those words are put to music in hymn one. the Lord in prayer, and in our prayer this afternoon, we'll also remember brother and sister Clint and Letitia Rataville. Letitia's father has been diagnosed with melanoma. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to be able to gather again this afternoon to worship You, together with your Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. We thank you for the peace and the freedom that we can enjoy, that allow us to gather together unhindered. What a blessing from you. So many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world don't enjoy this blessing. And so we thank you for it. But we also understand this is a responsibility as well that we would, we would continue to gather. And in gathering, we would continue to boldly proclaim who you are. We would boldly proclaim your grace in Jesus Christ. And also proclaim to this world that Jesus Christ is King and is Lord of all. We pray for our government. 
We thank you for them. We pray that you would give them strength to rule and to rule wisely. We pray that they would, in seeking wisdom in order to rule wisely, that they would turn to you and to the wisdom of your word and find there all that they need. And that they would also recognize that as far as they drift and move from that word, they will drift and move from blessing and peace and good government. And so, Lord, we also ask that you would make us bold in, in calling them to account and to rule according to the standards of you, the very one who has appointed them to be your servants for the good of your people. But we thank you for the peace and the freedom that we have. We thank you that we can gather together. We pray for those who can't be with us this afternoon for various reasons, health or otherwise. We pray that you would bless them, that you would also keep them in your care, that what they miss out in the fellowship of the saints and being able to gather for worship, or if they're not even able to participate via live feed or some other means, Father, that you would supply them all they need, and also that, that, that absence would grow in their hearts a desire to gather once again with your people on the Lord's day. In particular, this afternoon, we remember before you brother and sister Clint and Letitia Rotteville and their family, as Letitia's father has been diagnosed with melanoma. We pray, Father, that you would uh, be with him with this diagnosis. That in light of this diagnosis, he would look to you and all the family would look to you. The Lord, the giver of life, the great physician, the one who holds all of our lives in your hands and who, who orders all things according to your eternal plan. We thank you that you have an eternal plan for us. Not just a plan for this life, but one that extends so far eternally beyond this life. And so we have hope in all circumstances. We have hope in the good times and in the bad, in, in health and in sickness. Because our hope is based not in this life or in how we feel or in how things are going, but our hope is based firmly and squarely in the Lord Jesus Christ in who he is at your right hand and in all that he has done for us, all that he continues to do for us, and all that he will do for us as he carries out your plan in service to you until that last day when he will hand over the kingdom to you. And so we thank you, Father, for this hope. And we pray that this hope would be with the Rotteville family and with all of those who are dealing with sickness, with sadness, with disappointments of various kinds. Father, we pray now that you would bless us as we open your word, as we attend to your word, as we hear your word proclaimed, as we have the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, proclaimed to us from this particular passage of Scripture in Luke 24 this afternoon. Would you bless us through it? Would you strengthen our faith so that more and more we would cling to our Lord Jesus Christ in faith, so that more and more we would put off all other things that, that might distract us from him, and so that ultimately more and more 
we can give honor and glory, worship and praise to you. The honor and glory, worship and praise, which is for now, but will never end, will go on eternally. May you be honored and glorified in our midst, in the midst of all of your people as they gather throughout the world on this day. We ask all of this in the forgiveness of sins through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you to open in your Bibles this afternoon to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, of course, is that passage that speaks about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're not going to read that portion together, but we'll read about some of the events that happened after, immediately after the resurrection, uh, still on that first day of the week. We'll begin reading at verse 13, and we will end at verse 35. So Luke chapter 24 beginning at verse 13. This is the word of God. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here, there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. 
and their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Thus far, our reading from God's word. We'll now sing in response from Psalm 2. We read here in this passage about how the Lord opened up the scriptures and showed how all of the scriptures point to him. Psalm 2 is a, a, a very good example of a psalm that written so many years before the Lord Jesus came to this earth very clearly speaks about him, about his coming. And he, def- he, he very much is the fulfillment of this psalm. And so we'll sing together all four stanzas of Psalm 2. Yeah. 
In the sermon this afternoon, we'll be looking at that whole section that we read together from Luke 24, the verses 13 through 35, but especially important for us will be verse 27, so we'll read that together again. Verse 27 of Luke 24, the Word of God reads there, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I don't think that I need to convince you this afternoon that the Bible, God's Word, is important. I think you understand that already. That's why you're here. Among all the other things that you could be doing this afternoon, you've chosen to come here for worship and to read and to hear God's Word. As a Christian, you know that the Bible is, is central to your life. We, we make the Bible central to our lives, and, and we do that in all sorts of different ways. But at the same time, it's a reality, so at the same time that, that there's the reality that the, the Bible is important, that we understand that, we confess that, we live according to that, it's also true at the very same time that we are not always experiencing all the riches that God's Word has for us. We're not always living in light of all of, all of the truth and the blessings and the insight, the direction, everything that God's Word provides for us. That's also a reality of being a Christian. Because as a Christian, you still struggle with the sin that's in your own heart. You still live in this world in which you are under the constant attack of Satan. We heard about that last Sunday morning. We are under attack. We are living in the midst of spiritual warfare. As well, we live in this world. This broken world, this world in which sadness, grief, pain, suffering, these are realities that we live with every day. There are many things in this world that can make us sad and confused. And being a Christian doesn't shield you from that. That's still a part of the reality of, of your life as well. And so in a sense, that's, that's normal. That's normal. But often, as we experience these things, as we, we go into this sadness, as we, as we look around at the world and we see things happening and, and it confuses us as things happen to us and we don't understand why and, and we begin to ask questions and we begin to travel down this road of, of uncertainty and, and sadness, 
Often as Christians, the problem is that we live with this dichotomy. We have this confession that the Bible is true, that it's God's word, that it's important for us on the one hand, but we're living in in the midst of all these sad and confusing things and we fail to bring them together. We fail to understand that, that that the solution, or at least a part of the solution, the thing that is going to give us the, the insight that we need, that is going to give us the strength, the encouragement that we need as we walk through this difficult life, is the very thing that we're reading when we wake up in the morning. The very thing that we're reading as we study for club that evening. As we read around the dinner table, we're we're reading from the Word of God and we're walking through this trial, but we're, we're not putting these things together so often because we're failing to understand what it is that we're reading. What is the message? What is going on here in God's Word? This afternoon, we're going to look at the well known story of the road to Emmaus. And we're going to see there two men who are walking down this road and they are walking in the midst of sadness and confusion. But we're going to see how when they finally come to understand what the Bible is all about, what the the message of Scripture truly is, that understanding that, having the Bible opened for them so that they can, they can understand its message, that transforms for them their sadness and confusion into understanding and gladness. And so that's our theme this afternoon. Seeing Christ in the Scriptures. When we see Christ in the Scriptures, that transforms, that turns our confusion and sadness into understanding and gladness. And we're going to have, we're going to see two points, loosely uh, put together points this afternoon. First, the confusion and the sadness, and second, the understanding and the gladness that comes to these men and to us when we understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message about who he is, what he's come to do, and, and what he calls us to as his servants is the central message of the scriptures. So these two men are walking on the road, going to a village named Emmaus. Now, we know the name of one of the men. That's in verse 18. It says, then one of them named Cleopas answered him. But we don't know the name of the other man. It's kind of curious feature of this story. Why do we know the name of one and not the other? Well, we don't really know because it's not told us. Perhaps one reason is that Cleopas is the source, is the one from whom Luke heard this story. And so in recounting this story, he gives us the name of Cleopas. But why doesn't he give us the name of the other disciple? Certainly he knows who that is. I'm sure Cleopas didn't leave that detail out when he was telling the story. And again, we don't know, but one possible reason why Luke leaves the name of the other man out of the story is to give a different dynamic to this account so that this account becomes not only an account of what happened to these two men, but it also becomes 
an account where, because we don't know the, the identity of that one man, it makes it easier for us as the reader to put ourselves in the shoes or the sandals or whatever it was that they were wearing of those men as they were walking along that road to Emmaus. Be, and certainly, there are dynamics of this story that, that as, we, as we go through, we will see it, it, it is easier. It's told in a way that makes it easier for us to, to put ourselves in the place and to experience, as it were, what's going on with these men as they walk down that road. So these men, they're walking from Jerusalem. This is Sunday after the Lord Jesus Christ was put to death. All of the events of Jerusalem, the whole city was sort of in, in, in uproar and turmoil, buzzing from all of these events that had happened. Everybody knew about Jesus. Everybody knew what was going on with him, and everybody would have known what happened to him then on Good Friday. And so these men are walking, they're leaving Jerusalem, and they're going to Emmaus. Now, we're not exactly sure where Emmaus was. It says here that it is about... Um, seven miles from Jerusalem. There's a place that might be Emmaus, about seven miles. There's another place about halfway, sort of a seven-mile round trip that might be the village. It's not clear, but either way, they're walking from Jerusalem. They're heading out to this village of Emmaus, and they're talking, and they're totally consumed with, with what was going on. In verse 15, it says that they were talking and, and discussing together. So that, that word has a sense of, of discussing and, and being totally engrossed in, in sharing the details and trying to work out what was happening. How do they make sense of, of all of these things that happened in Jerusalem this past weekend? And as they're walking along and they're talking about all these things, another man comes and he joins them. And this man is none other, none other than Jesus himself. But these two men, they don't recognize him. They don't know who he is. And there's all sorts of theories about why they don't recognize him. Maybe they were too wrapped up in what had happened. Maybe Jesus looked different after he had risen from the grave. There's all sorts of discussions like that, except that the text actually tells us exactly why they didn't recognize him. In verse 16, it says, But their eyes were kept... From recognizing him. Their eyes were kept. Who was the one who kept their eyes from recognizing him? It's obvious it was God. God kept them from recognizing him for his own purposes. Because God very much has his purposes with these men in this story, just as God has his purposes, why this story has been recounted for us to read and hear, which is what we're considering this afternoon. And so Jesus comes to them and, and he asks them, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And the reaction of these men is very dramatic. It says, and they stood still, they stopped walking looking sad. That looking sad there, it has the sense, it has this sense of the, the, the complete, the whole countenance of these men, their, their whole body, their face, everything expressed this sadness at what had happened. 
It's sort of like if you go to a funeral and you walk in and there's all sorts of people in that. There's all sorts of people there. And if you would sort of scan the room, it wouldn't take you very long to find out who in that room was very close to that person that has died. Because you can just see the sadness. They're just wearing the grief on their face. The grief becomes them. That's, that's what's being recounted to us here. The men stood still looking sad. They're, they're totally sad. And then one of them, Cleopassi, answers. And he says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that doesn't know the things that have happened here? Like, how can you ask, what are you talking about? There's only one thing that everybody's talking about. It's about what happened to Jesus. But Jesus persists, and he, he asks them again, what things? And so they share to him, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. I guess you're the one person around who doesn't know about him. We're talking about Jesus because we're trying to figure out what happened, because Jesus, he was a prophet, a prophet sent from God, and he was mighty and in deed and in word. The things that he did, no one had ever done. How he healed the sick, how he fed people, how he even raised people from the dead. There was nobody like him before. He was a prophet mighty indeed, and in word as well. The way that he preached, the way that the words that he spoke cut to the heart, the way that they, they expressed who God was and who we are were, the hope that they gave, all of these things. There was no one like him. He was a prophet, mighty in deed and in word. But, but the chief priests and the rulers, they arrested him. They put him on trial. They condemned him to death. And they crucified him. And you see, the thing was, we thought that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. These men are shattered. They had these ex expectations of Jesus, that he was the prophet that the Old Testament spoke about, who would come and who would almost certainly, what they believed, what these words about, that he was the one to redeem Israel. Almost certainly, this redemption in their minds would have been both a political and a religious redemption. That they hoped that there would be someone, and they believed, according to the Old Testament, that someone would come and that they would, he would free them from the oppression of the Romans. Free them from, from all the, the religious oppression as the Romans sought to direct their lives and as they established their temples in, in Israel and all sorts of different places as they worshipped idols, that he would free them from all of that and that they would set them free in order to, to order their lives according to what God had laid down in the Old Testament. They could serve God, they could follow his laws, they could do all the things that God had, had called them to do. That, that's what they were hoping for. And along with that, to get rid of all the taxes and other things, the burdens that came with living under the Romans. So their expectations for, for Jesus were sky high, but they had been shattered on the rocks of reality when they saw Jesus crucified, put to death and buried. 
the sadness that these men were wearing on their face was a sadness of disappointment. That's what disappointment is. Disappointment is the difference between expectation and reality. You have your expectation up here for something, and when the reality is much lower than that, the difference between them is disappointment. These men are disappointed. Their expectations have been shattered by reality. As we think about these men and what they must have been thinking at that time, it's not very difficult for us to put ourselves in their place. Because we also know disappointment, don't we? In various contexts, in various ways. We've had expectations for other people, for ourselves. And we've been disappointed by them. We've been disappointed by what they did to us or what they did to others. We've been disappointed by ourselves. We've had expectations shattered on the rocks of reality. But we've had that not only with ourselves and with others. I think if we're honest, we'd say we've had that with God as well. When we've had expectations for, for God, for this life that we would, we would live before God. When... We had this expectation in our life of, of what it was going to be like, say, to live with this man that God had given to us or with this woman that God had given to us. And we had all these bright, sunny expectations about what this was going to be, but then, then we've been disappointed. Or we, 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 at one time in our life, things are going well and we're serving the Lord and we're experiencing joy and we think, this must be it. This must be the life that... God has called us to do. And then comes sickness. And then comes hardship. And then comes trial. And then a loved one wanders from the faith. And then we have our own struggles with the faith. And then we have various struggles in our life. And they make us wonder, what is God doing? What's going on here? Our expectations are shattered on the rocks of reality. And these men are not only sad, they're also confused. They're confused by all of this that happened. They're also confused by these these other reports that they've heard about about what happened after that. They said, moreover, some woman amazed us. Jesus has been dead. He's been in the grave three days. But these women came and they went to the tomb early. They didn't find his body. But they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who had told them that he was alive. But if you're a first century Jewish man, you're not sure that you can always believe the reports of women. And so they sent some men to go find out what had happened. They found the tomb just as the woman had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And so they're, they're left in their sadness. There's no resolution to that. There's just more confusion. What is going on? Where is the body of Jesus? How do you explain this? But then Jesus responds to them. And his response is very instructive to us for two reasons. First of all, look at how he responds to them. He doesn't respond in a, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. I'm really sorry to hear about this hard time that you're going through. He, he doesn't give that sort of soft approach that we or our culture might tell us, hey, if somebody's going through something like that, this is how you respond. He doesn't respond. He responds in a very direct way. And he says, you are foolish. 
Oh, foolish ones. It's the same word that the Apostle Paul uses for the Galatians when they are abandoning the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're, you're being foolish. You've lost your mind. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. That all recalls the words of Jesus, the frequently used words of Jesus to his disciples. Oh, you of little faith. Where is your faith? Where is your head? What's going on? How are you not understanding this? Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You guys are supposed to know better. You're supposed to know what's going on. You have everything that you need to interpret these events, but you're foolish. But you're lacking in faith. You're slow of heart. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Did you think that it was all going to be sunshine and roses? Is that what the word of God led you to believe? Have you not read Isaiah 53? Have you not read the prophecies of Zechariah? Have you not read so many of the prophecies of the Old Testament? Don't you know the story of Joseph? Don't you know the story of David? Don't you know that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then to enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We have to understand what that expression means there in verse 27. Beginning with Moses and the prophets. Why does he say Moses? Why doesn't he say Genesis or something like that? Well, because for the Jews, the Old Testament was broken up into three parts. They had, they had the first part, the Torah, the books of Moses, the first five books. And then after that, they had the prophets, the former prophets and the latter prophets. So, so, so the former prophets were the historical books, like Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings. Those were the former prophets. After that were the latter prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so on. And then they had a third part, the writings, like Proverbs, Psalms, and those sorts of things. So what Luke is saying is that Jesus, beginning at the beginning with Moses, with the Torah, and then going to the prophets through the historical books, through the prophecies, and presumably also the writings, as it says in the next part there, um, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And he showed them how all the word of God, from the very beginning, all the way through, it points to him. It points to him, and not only that, it explains who he is. It explains the plan that God has for him. It explains what is going to happen to him. And the response that is called to for those who would seek to follow him. All of scripture explains the things concerning himself. So what happens? These men are sad and confused. They don't know what's going on, and they're living in this, this grief, this sadness, and this confusion. And so what does Jesus do to them? He preaches a sermon to them. He preaches a sermon to them, because that's exactly what they need. In the, the Tokpisin translation of the Bible, 
that we use in Papua New Guinea. That's actually what it says here. When it says that he, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It says that he preached to them. And that's exactly what he did. He preached a Christ-centered sermon from the Old Testament to these men as they walked along the road to Emmaus. Because in their state, in their weak and floundering faith, as they were experiencing the sadness and confusion, a sermon pointing to Jesus Christ is exactly what they needed. Now that word there, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them. He interpreted to them. That word in other contexts is used for translate. You can use that word and it can mean translate. He translated to them. And I think if we think about translation, it helps us understand exactly what Jesus did there. So in translation, in Papua New Guinea, there's a lot of translation, Bible translation that happens. There's over 800 different languages. And so there's people who, who live and, and speak a language, and they don't have the Bible in their own language. And so the things of God's word are distant for them. They don't understand them. It's hard for them to grasp them. They, they stay sort of foreign to them. And so what a translator does is he takes the word of God and he, he transforms it into something that's understandable, something that, that's applicable, something that's meaningful for these people. So that before they lived in darkness, they lived in sadness and confusion. They didn't know the gospel. They didn't know who God was. But now when they have the Bible translated into their own language, now those things can come near to them and they can know God and they can worship him and they can follow him. Because that thing that was before foreign and, and, and not clear, ununderstandable, has, has been made clear has been made understandable to them. And so Jesus didn't translate the Bible for these men. But what he did was he interpreted it for them. Because before, they didn't understand who Jesus was and, and what he had come to do and what was going to happen to him. Now Jesus explained it to them in a way that they could understand, in a way that they could grasp the message of the scripture, in a way that they could take it to heart and it could show to them the gospel of Jesus. So that they could learn and, and grow. So that they could believe ultimately in Jesus. Because that's what they needed. Their weak and their floundering faith needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. It needed the word of God to reveal that gospel to them. Because that's what we need. That's what we need too. When we're going through sadness and confusion, we need the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus, interpreted from the Scriptures to come to us in a way that's understandable, in a way that can touch our lives so that we can look to Jesus and we can believe in Him. In Papua New Guinea, there's this church in Wantun that we work with. Pastor Tony is the pastor there. When Pastor Tony went to this church in Wantun, this church was a church in which there was a lot of sadness and confusion. There was not a lot of understanding of the Word of God. The message that all of Scripture pointed to Jesus was not clear to the people of these, this church at all. And there was all sorts of problems that went with that. 
Now, why Pastor Tony and how Pastor Tony ended up in this church is a whole other story. We won't get into that. But by the providence of God, he was called there and he went and he served among those people. And as he went, he proclaimed the word of God faithfully each Sunday. He did what he had been trained to do at the Reformed Church's Bible College, which was to open the, the scriptures, to study them, and then to bring them to bear on the lives of God's people, pointing them each time again to Jesus Christ. And as he did that, he, he exposed a lot of sin in that community. But as he exposed sin, he also each time brought the gospel of Jesus Christ so that those people who were having their sins exposed could, could, could look to Jesus Christ. And those people who were confused about the word of God could have clarity about what it was about now. And their faith in Jesus could be strengthened. But as he continued to work there, these people whose sins were being exposed, the people who had previously been leaders there, who at first had called him, they, they didn't like this message that he was bringing. They didn't like that their sins were being exposed. And so they started to oppose him, and they started to, to put him to the side. They started to um, exclude him. They excluded him to the point that they completely excluded him from, from a church event at one point. And so... One evening, a Friday evening, I think it was, Pastor Tony sat down with his wife and he said, listen, tomorrow morning we're going to get up, we're going to pack our bags, and we're going to leave. Because the Lord Jesus says, if you're not accepted in a place, then you shake the dust off your feet and you leave them. So that's what they did. They woke up in the morning, they packed their bags, and they left. Now, to leave, they had to, they had to walk. So they walked away. They came up to the banks of the Markham River. They would have had to cross that river to get to the bus stop, which would have taken them down to Lay, to the church in Lay, where they would have told the brothers there about what had happened. They came to the banks of the Markham River, and they were met by two men, two men from the same church. And the two men came to them, and they said, Pastor Tony, where are you going? And he said, well, it's clear that I'm not wanted here. It's clear that this message that I'm preaching isn't wanted here, and so I'm leaving. And they said, to them, they said to him, yes, pastor, we heard that. That's why we came to come and find you. They said, please, pastor, we know that there's other people in this church who don't want you there. But, but you have to know that there are other people who have been listening to what you've been saying. They've been listening as each week you've been opening the scriptures and you've been teaching. And, and you've been showing each time about how the scriptures point us to Jesus. They said, before, we didn't understand what the Bible was about. We were living in confusion. But now we understand that it's about Jesus. And since you've come and you've been preaching to us, our faith in Jesus has had been growing. We've been coming stronger. We've been getting more courage. We've been fighting against sin in our lives. Please, pastor, they said to him, you can't leave. Because if you leave, who's going to preach the message of Jesus to us? And those last words... It cut Pastor Tony to the heart. He was fully intending to leave. But when he heard them say that, he said, okay, you're right. I'll stay. And he stayed. And he stayed, and, and there was a split in the church. Some people left. Other people stayed with him. Some people came back. But what he's done ever since then is he's faithfully preached the word of God. And each sermon has pointed the people of God to their Savior, Jesus Christ. Because that's what the Bible is about. And not only that, that's what the people of God need. 
in their sadness, in their confusion, as they walk through the various trials and difficulties of this life, they need the gospel of Jesus Christ explained to them from the word of God. We need that. And that's what these men needed as well. But they haven't quite come to the resolution. They've had these things explained to them, but in verse 28 it says, they drew near to the village to which they were going. So they, they came close to Emmaus, and Jesus made as though he was going to keep going because it would have been impolite for him to assume that he was going to be staying in that village. But these men, they ask him, no, 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 it's too late in the day. You can't go on. You have to come in, come and stay with us, eat with us, spend the night with us. And so Jesus, he goes in with them. And probably because they recognize that even though they don't know who Jesus is, but the way that he spoke, they recognize he's some kind of learned man, he's some kind of rabbi or something like that. So in deference to him, they allow him to be the one who's going to pray at the beginning of the meal and to break the bread. And so Jesus, he sits down at the table with them, and he breaks the bread, and he blesses it, and he gives it to them. And at that very moment, their eyes are open. And, and you can just imagine what this is like. Their eyes are open, and they see right before them, in the flesh, this person who's been walking all the way from Jerusalem to, with them to Emmaus is none other than Jesus himself. He, he's alive. He's in the flesh. He's right here at the table with him. But then the next thing is even more surprising. The very moment that they recognize him, he disappears. He vanishes. It says that he took the bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. Again, who opened their eyes? God opened their eyes. Because it was God's plan that at that moment, their eyes would be opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Now, if these men were confused before, how confused would they be now? One moment they, rec they recognize this person who we didn't recognize is now Jesus. The next moment he's gone. What is going on? But the amazing thing is that these men aren't confused. They aren't confused. The very next moment they, they, they go back and they say, they say, didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us? The scriptures. What's going on here? Why does God keep them from knowing who Jesus is? Why does he allow them to see him? And then why the next moment does Jesus vanish from their sight and disappear? What is going on? I think it's this. All of these things happen so that their faith will not be built on the physical presence of Jesus with them. But instead, their faith will be built, just like ours, on the Word of God. Because that is what is going to sustain them. Because that is what is going to transform their, their confusion and sadness into joy and gladness, which will never fade away. Just think about it. 
Before Jesus is revealed to them, he preaches a Christ-centered sermon. They don't know it's Jesus, but they hear the sermon. And the sermon from the word of God points them to Jesus. The sermon builds their faith. Then as soon as he's revealed to them, he disappears. And But the men, as soon as he disappears, they don't go, what's going on? Where did he go? What happened? No, right away, he disappears and they know. And they think back, not to him sitting at the table with them, they think back to that sermon and they say, didn't our hearts burn within us while well, he opened for us the scriptures on the road? It's reminiscent of what Jesus, or maybe not reminiscent is the right word, but it foreshadows what Jesus is going to say later to Thomas. When he says, because you've seen me, you believed. But blessed are those who believe, who haven't seen me. We live by faith and not by sight. Our faith is built on, is anchored in the word of God as the word of God reveals Jesus to us, not the physical presence of Jesus Christ. Everything that we need to live according to all the the commands of God, to live this life with God, is given to us in the scriptures. It's all there for us. Yes, we're going to be sad. Yes, we're going to be confused because we live in this broken world, because we're under the attack of Satan, because we have sinfulness in our own hearts. But each time, brothers and sisters, we need to go back to the word of God because everything that we need there in order to live a life of faith in Jesus Christ is there for us. Jesus is there for us. We don't need Jesus at our dinner table. We need the word of God at our dinner table. We don't need Jesus walking along, holding our hand, walking beside us, even though sometimes, I don't know if you've ever felt that, but, but I've certainly felt that you read about the, from the scriptures, you read about the disciples sitting around and listening to Jesus and you think, oh, if only we could have that. But Jesus himself says, no, it's better. It's better that I leave you. It's better that you have the word of God and the Spirit to interpret these things for you. It's better. It will strengthen your faith more. The Word of God. Everything about Jesus, who He is and what He's done. The significance of His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension into heaven. All that we need to know in order to to walk by faith with Him, serving Him, loving Him fighting against sin, standing strong in all the challenges, it's there for us in the word of God. We need the word of God. Last week as well, you heard about that. The importance of the word of God because it's the means by which God preserves his own. The Word of God needs to be a priority in our lives. We need to have more of the Word of God in our lives. And if there's anything that's distracting us from the Word of God, that thing needs to leave our lives. If you're too busy and your busyness is distracting you from having time for the Word of God, then your life needs to change. 
If, if the distractions of this world, if, if the computer games that you're playing, the apps on your phone, the, the things that you're streaming through your TV, if those things are distracting you from the word of God, then those things need to leave your life. Because you need to have the word of God in your life. Because the, the, the point of this passage is, if you don't have the word of God in your life, you don't have Jesus in your life. Because it's as we read and as we understand and as we learn about this message of the word of God, as all of scripture is pointing us to Jesus Christ, that we have Jesus in our life. That we live by faith, a living faith in him. That's just as real as those men walking on the road with Jesus, seeing him seated there at the table with them. We have Jesus through the word of God. Make the word of God a reality in your life. These men say, oh, how our hearts burned within us as he talked to us on the road. Brothers and sisters, that's my goal as a preacher of the gospel. That as I preach, I wouldn't just tell lots of nice facts and tell lots of nice stories and illustrations, but that as the gospel of Jesus Christ is declared, hearts would burn, would burn with, with understanding, would burn with joy at the message of who Jesus is, that God has sent his son to this world to rescue people like us and to give us eternal life with him. How our hearts burned within us. Is that your goal? As you read the word of God, as you share the word of God? Because we can take that one step further. That's not only the goal of the preacher of the gospel. And I have every confidence that that's the goal of Reverend Poppy too, as he preaches God's word week to week. But is that your goal as you're sitting around the dinner table with your children? As you're reading these stories from the Bible? Is your goal that the hearts of your children would burn with understanding and with joy as they more and more each day learn who Jesus is and what Jesus calls them to in this life? As you're preparing for club, as you're coming to club, is, is that what your goal is? That as you would dig into the riches of God's word, you would expose more and more of, of who God is how he sent his son, that whole gospel would come so that the hearts of all of us sitting around in our living room or a kitchen table or wherever we're sitting would burn within us as we hear again this incredible gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the reality is that we live in, in this broken and sinful world. We need this gospel. You need it. The people around you need it. There is a lot of sadness and confusion in this culture in which you live right now. And those people are living in sadness and confusion for one reason, and one reason alone, because they don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to hear this message. The work that I do as a missionary, I'm in Papua New Guinea. 
because there are people living in sadness and confusion. It looks different than it does here, but there's sadness and confusion. They're living in darkness. And so we're training pastors. We're preaching the gospel. We're trying to establish strong churches that are going to be like a light in the darkness, that are going to proclaim this gospel of Jesus Christ so that more and more hearts that were, that were covered in sadness, that were lost in confusion, would burn with the understanding and the joy that Jesus Christ has come from heaven to rescue them from sin, to bring them into a living relationship with the Father, into eternal life with him. That's what the word of God does, brothers and sisters. That's what the word of God does. It transforms our confusion and sadness into understanding and gladness. Amen. As a response to the word of God this afternoon, let's sing from hymn uh, 65. I'm just going to make one small change. Instead of singing stanzas 1 and 4, let's sing stanzas 1 and 3. Stanzas 1 and 3 of hymn 65. Let's come before the Lord in a prayer of thanksgiving. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank you because you are a God of grace, a God of light, a God of truth, a God who in your grace have revealed to us salvation. That the way of salvation is, is there for us. That it's provided completely through your Son, Jesus Christ. 
You're the God who reveals this to us that we might know him and we might believe in him. We might entrust our lives to him. That he can rescue us from our sin and from eternal condemnation. And that he can lead us into eternal life. That he can teach us to be servants of you and and disciple us to walk in this world fighting against sin. Being wary and knowledgeable about the attacks of Satan. And guarding ourselves from the lures of this world. We thank you so much that you give us all of these things through the word. So that Christ is not far away from us. He's not distant from us. He's not unknown to us. But he's in our hearts. He's in our lives. Because he's mediated to us through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, through the gospel that you have revealed to us. And that you have given light into our hearts and faith in order to to know and to believe. Thank you, Father. We pray that you would continue to strengthen us by that word. And that you would continue to provide for us that word. Bless the preaching of the gospel as it happens week by week from this pulpit. Bless Reverend Poppy as he carries out that work, encourage him, strengthen him, give him insight into your word so that he can interpret from the scriptures the things concerning our Savior, Jesus Christ, so that he can apply them and help your people here to grow in their knowledge and their faith of him. We pray that You would bless the elders, the leaders, the men entrusted with the care of the word of God in this congregation so that they would also be motivated by that same desire and that same calling as they meet in houses, as they visit the members, as they carry out that pastoral work. May it always be done in a way that's faithful to your word and that delivers both the rebuke and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, would you strengthen this congregation so that they can stand strong in all the trials that they face, so that each individual member in that sadness or that confusion which afflicts them at various points would receive all that they need from you through your word to guide them through those particular challenges. We thank you for all that you've given us in this day, the riches of being able to gather together, the fellowship that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we could be reminded again, too, that this faith that we have is not ours alone, but it's shared with your people throughout the ages, in all times, and in all places around this world. We pray that you continue to bless your church throughout this world. Bless your church also in Papua New Guinea, where there is so much sadness and confusion. And we pray that as your word is faithfully proclaimed, that you would transform lives and that you would, you would strengthen faith and that you would even transform whole communities through your word. We pray that you'd bless the preachers of the gospel 
And we also pray that you'd, ble- you'd bless the preachers of the gospel who are being trained at the Reformed Church's Bible College. And we also think of the preachers of the gospel who are being trained at the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary for which we have a collection this afternoon. We pray that you would bless the professors there, the staff, that you'd bless the students now as they enjoy a break, as they prepare for next year, and as some come on stream beginning uh, their journey into that through the seminary, and also for others having recently graduated and having recently um, been declared eligible for call or eligible to preach through various classes, we pray that you would bless these young men. Make them also faithful to that calling of proclaiming the riches of Jesus Christ and being singular in their focus, in their dedication, in their devotion to him. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all that you give us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would hear our prayer and, and all of our prayers and all of your, the prayers of your people throughout this world for his sake and in his name. Amen. Just a reminder that the offerings this afternoon are for the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary and that they will be taken at the door on your way out. We'll now sing our our final song, which is Psalm 47, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3. I chose this psalm because it's one of the the favorites of your brothers and sisters in Papua New Guinea to sing. They always sing this robustly, and so as we remember how we're all, uh, we all live together despite our different places of life, different cultures, different ways of life, languages, all these kinds of things, under the lordship of Jesus Christ and because of the grace of God in sending out his gospel to all of us, we all together can clap our hands and shout and let our praise ring out in praise of him. So I'd ask you now to stand as we sing Psalm 47, stanzas 1 through 3.
Brothers and sisters, receive the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.